Podcast. I will visit families who will leave it to suffice it to say some very, very tragic experiences. And, and it doesn't make me blink a, mo- a moment of fear because I'm not there to fix what I did not break. And even if I could, I wouldn't. The brokenness is there for its own purpose. I'm there to witness and hold space, as you say, which to me is bring it, give it to me. I can take it. I assure you I can take it. And I'm not going to respond with any affirmations that tell you reasons why you're in pain. I'm a witness to your growth. I am not a conduit because I'm here growing with you. Welcome to the Cosmic Love Antenna Podcast. This podcast is meant to encourage you to connect within so you can share your light with the world. And now, here's your host, Harrison Ma. Harrison Ma. Harrison Ma. Welcome, beautiful souls, to the Cosmic Love Antenna, another episode, another weekly installment of your inner connection to your outer expression. Today, can you predict what I'm about to say? I'm super excited <laughs> for the guest, the powerful man, the powerful energy that I have on to share with you today, as, as I usually do within this platform and this experience that I'm building week to week here. And this beautiful being who I'm going to have a chat with today and dive deep into the mental, emotional, and most likely knowing me, the spiritual world is Dr. Norman Freed. And Dr. Norman Freed is a clinical doctor of psychology. He's a, he's a psychologist. He's a clinical psychologist. He's an author. He's he's sort of specialized and really grounds into trauma, grounds into grief, grounds into PTSD. If you live in the US, maybe he was just mentioning to me, maybe you've seen him on Dr. Phil, you've seen him on BBC News, on NBC News, but all of these things, they're powerful, they're credentials, they're things that he has experience with, but that's not why I have him here. I have him here because he is a beautiful, loving spirit and man, and I can't wait to share him with you. Dr. Norman, welcome to the Cosmic Love Antenna. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm honored. I'm truly honored to be here. The honor is all mine, sir. And I wish that people could see the video that we have up, the audio listeners, because uh, you have this mood lighting in your house in the moment with a candle light and it suits your energy <laughs> very well. And I'm excited for this conversation. So my friend, where I want to start this chat is I think for people to sort of get a grasp of who you are in this world, I'd love to know just a little bit about your history. So maybe let's start with your educational background and your training. What, where have you started in this world? Uh, okay, sure. Thank you. So I, I studied um, psychology as an undergraduate in uh, Massachusetts in a, in a small research institution called Clark University, which is where Freud had his only American lectures. So oh, that so was cool. the beginning of yeah, it was really cool. Freud and Jung used to have their fights uh, in, in, uh, at the university. It was 1901, and so all of their letters back and forth are logged and cataloged in, in, the, in the library there. I graduated, and I moved to Israel, and I began to work with Ethiopian refugees who were airlifted from Sudan and were ultimately brought into the country of Israel to become acclimated. And... Um, I flew there to help these um, these beautiful African people learn about Middle Eastern culture, and they were teaching me about their culture. And we did all of this in a third language. They spoke Amharic, I spoke English, and together we learned to speak in the Hebrew language. I did learn Amharic eventually, so I was able to speak them in their mother tongue. And Dr. Norman, sorry to interrupt you, but can I ask why? Why were you doing this? I I, I sort of want to go just a little bit further back because you, you know, and I, w- I want to get down this rabbit hole today in some of the topics we're going to talk about, but as you, as the individual, as the being that you are, why were you pulled to either that context or starting this study in general? I was pulled to the context of working with people in, in trauma, particularly because I was raised in a world where I was filled with trauma as well. I have to say that around the age of 11 or 12, I was uh, stricken with um, panic disorder 
but of a very bad kind. And I was struck, struggling with panic attacks three, four, five times a day for eight or nine months. And for an 11 year old boy, that's, that's really frightening. And this is before the era of the SSRIs and any kind of meds mm-hmm. that would give instant support. Um, and I was raised in a home uh, with an Orthodox Jewish father who didn't believe in psychotherapy. So I struggled a lot and I made a commitment to myself that if I can get out of this darkness, I'm going to help other people when they come to me with a similar story. So at this point in, in my life, I had just graduated college and I uh, was thinking about going on for a PhD. And instead, I decided I'm going to work with the children that were airlifted from the Sudan desert. I had heard about them. It was called Operation Exodus. It was 1981 or maybe it was 84. I'm not even, it was 1981. Whenever it was, it was a time when these, these children were escaping with their mothers um, and, um, and a lot of them didn't make it. And those that were brought to Israel were given a second chance at life. And I kind of wanted to connect with them. And I did very, very beautifully. And let me ask a question about that, Norman. So I find it very interesting of a man of your experience and wisdom and background, even someone, you know, as profoundly aware and knowledgeable and wise as you starts in this origin of pain to purpose, right? I think it's very easy for us as individuals to overlook that story in all of us, right? I think Joseph Campbell talks about it from the hero's journey perspective. We all go through some kind of evolution or pain comes into our lives, whether it be through our upbringing, whether it been through some kind of traumatic event. And then we have the option of not only learning from that traumatic event, but transforming it as a gift that we then share the world. So I guess, Norman, what I want to ask you from here as this starts to expand into your journey moving forward, and this is going to lead into some other questions I want to ask you about. For you as the individual, and I, I'm interested in this as a practitioner myself. Did you see your pain start healing through the people that you started to help? So you may be using Ethiopia as an example. I know you healed something to a degree, but when you went there and were able to help these people, and maybe even now in your clinical work, do you see this as a sort of transference of healing on your end? I have. I always had a craving to understand pain from the point of view of other people, probably because I lived inside of it so much of my life and I was so scared and young and, and I struggled so much uh, in my childhood. Um, I, was, I was raised in a, in a home with a lot of abuse, a lot of alcoholism, uh, a lot of drugs and a lot of violence. And so for me, I, I just needed to make sense of the world. And the way I could do so was by connecting with others who also spoke the language of pain. So I, I guess I, I've always found myself drawn to people who really experience the human condition in its fullest form. Why? Possibly because I identify. Also because I really feel as if that is how we all grow. I don't think anything that we've gone through in this, anything of value, any any reward we receive comes without the struggle first. And I I teach a course on pastoral counseling uh, in the School of Divinity at at a seminary in New York City at Columbia University. And um, I teach the students who are rabbinical students and imams and priests that if we look at the, the scripture from the Old Testament and the New Testament, nothing that we've ever received in, in, in our lifetimes from God, from, from the Holy Spirit has come without struggle first. And I think that that's really the, the, the human dilemma that we're all in. But as a result of the journey, nothing surprises me, Harrison, and nothing as disturbing as these things may be in life. I say to myself, well, of course, this is, this is what we're doing here. We're here to learn. And I really hope we have our joy, but we also have to experience the opposite of joy sometimes. Yeah. So I went from so I went from from the experience of working with the Ethiopian refugees and I discovered that I needed to have a degree 
a formal degree that would allow me not just to do this work, but do it with wisdom, not learned, not lived experience, but clinical empirical data. So I came back to the United States. I studied um, at Emory University. I got my PhD in, uh, in child and family development. And I moved on to a fellowship at Harvard Medical School, where I was working with um, pediatric populations, particularly children who were struggling with HIV and the blood disorders. And that became the beginning of my career. I began to run a cancer center, a psychology department in a cancer center in New York. And over the next 18 or 19 years, I was the director of the psychosocial services for several hospitals where the children were being treated for uh, for pediatric hematology and oncology concerns. And as a result, I sat by the bedsides of very, very sick children, and I helped them say the necessary words of goodbye to their families. But I learned, Harrison, that the children who were at end of life don't speak about their experience in direct language. They speak in metaphor and symbolism and poetry. And, um, and it's, all, it's all very veiled in a beautiful spiritual way. And I learned the poetry of end of life language. And as a result, I began to discover that this was absolutely what I was being asked to do in this lifetime. Well, Dr. Norman, let me flow in there because I want to speak about that in a bit. I want to come back to your angel letters and the end of life elements because I think that's a beautiful part of the work that you do in the world. But uh, let's, let's, I want to pull out a point here. And I did have another sort of question I wanted to flow to, but I want to bring another one forward here because I think this is really relevant to what you're talking about with the children that you're connecting with within your story. And I'm interested, my friend, a big part of the, the work that I do as a coach and that people come to see me. And I think we've, we've shared some spaces on clubhouse where we first connected together on this topic is the, is the, is the conversation and the, and the, and the theme of the inner child and, and the inner child relationship that we all have within ourselves. And I'm, and I can't not take this opportunity to speak with you, Norman, and get your perspective, hear your perspective as, as someone who's, in the field doing this kind of work with beautiful souls every single day. What, in your opinion, what is your perspective on the inner child for people listening? And if, if then, if someone is new to this dynamic and doesn't understand what the inner child is, what would you say to them if they were looking to lean into it, to maybe help with trauma, to maybe help with an inner sort of healing journey? I would suggest that, we recognize that we have all come from somewhere and that growing up at times, if not more often than not, is, is perilous and scary and, and traumatizing and that we can grow up scared. And those of us that grow up scared end up really kind of putting their feelings somewhere where they don't want to touch them. And when you speak of the inner child, the way I define it and understand it is, is that there's, there's a part of us that may have just stopped development at a certain age. For me, my inner child really stopped at 14. And I've moved on from that, but for so many years, I would feel as if that's where I, I was stuck. There are many different theories as to how to define the inner child. Suffice to say that it's a place in your development where you kind of didn't get a chance to feel the nurturance and um, the sense of self to develop into a different person. And um, the, the, not a different person, the person you were really meant, meant to, be. to be in this life. Yeah. And, and so when we talk about it, it's almost as if you close your eyes and you go back home to that original house and you open the door and you walk inside and you experience what it's like to be that person at that young age only this time you recognize you're traveling with the adult version as well mm-hmm. and the adult you the adult you visits the child you and says listen it's gonna work out it's gonna be hard but you're gonna learn so much and you're gonna be grateful not just for the pain but for the growth that came from the pain and that's how I see the inner work, the work of the inner child. It's beautiful. And if you're listening to this 
if there's one word that you take away with the inner child dynamic, in my opinion, and Dr. Norma's highlighting it, it's a reparenting, right? It's stepping into that field that maybe was not filled in some way by an external element. And now in your present moment, being the powerful human that you are, you know, I like to visualize a, your hand out in front of you. And then you have that little, that little boy or that little girl holding on to that hand, right? And then you do all that you can to be the answer that you're looking for. If that answer was affirmation, yeah. But it, it, yes, yes, Harrison. And yet in my estimation, it's not as, not as separate as that. It's not as if this adult version of me is sitting and talking to the young version of me. It's recognizing that the young version is me. Mm. It's complicated. Um, that I am, a, I am not just visiting a boy who's unevolved, recognizing that that unevolved boy really has all the seeds of evolution inside of him. And so I don't see myself as holding his hand. I see myself as basically saying, come along, come along. I assure you. I assure you, it's going to be worth it. Love it. Again, I think this kind of work, it can be very, I think sometimes it can feel abstract for someone that's maybe new to this. And this leads into my next question here for you, Dr. Norman. This kind of work, that image that you just set up for me, I felt it very, I found it very easy to close my eyes and just imagine what you were saying. And then there was sort of internal reactions going on. But for someone new coming into this world, this is where a, an external element, whether it be a therapist, a coach, a, a practitioner, a doctor, someone outside of you, I think that's the space and place that can be very powerful for someone to get a grasp on some of these elements that sometimes are a bit hard to first lean into. So I would love to get your opinion, my friend, and I've asked you this before and I want to get it here now on the podcast where do you think the role of a therapist in your regard or a coach in my regard comes in within this kind of dynamic? So even outside of the inner child, maybe some of the other sort of talk therapy or therapeutical modalities, what is the power of someone holding space for you and providing a container for energy to flow? It's interesting they use the word container, Harrison. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I never really thought of it like a container. I, but it's true, it is a way of containing the energy that's going back and forth between patient and therapist. I want you to know that I don't approach a therapeutic session as Norman. I, before every appointment, I, I, ask, I ask God to come with me and, and through me and allow me to utilize my human hands and my mortal voice to do the work that God can't do without a human form. I'm not at all trying to sound arrogant. I'm actually no. trying to be very, I'm trying to be very humble. So, and, and remember the work I do is with parents whose children have been murdered or suicided or mm. overdosed. Uh, I'm working people who themselves have been thinking of hurting themselves and have been through awful, awful victimization. And I literally stand there and I say, God, please, please, purify my heart and open up whatever exists in terms of a portal here so that you can come through me. And I find myself sitting with my hands, my palms up and open mm. because I'm almost asking for energy to come through me. I find that if my hands are closed, I'm blocking whatever energy I could get from divine or source. So that's one thing that I do. The other is I recognize that it doesn't matter how I say what I say. It matters that the message gets across. So I'm not afraid to sit with people um, who are in pain because I don't, I don't have the answers. I never did. No one does. And I will visit families who've lost more than one child in a car accident. I will visit families who We'll leave it to suffice it to say some very, very tragic experiences. And, and it doesn't make me blink a, mo a moment of fear because I'm not there to fix what I did not break. And even if I could, I wouldn't. The brokenness is there for its own purpose. I'm there to witness 
and hold space, as you say, which to me is bring it, give it to me. I can take it. I assure you I can take it. And I'm not going to respond with any affirmations that tell you reasons why you're in pain. I am a witness to your growth. I am not a conduit because I'm here growing with you. Now, why do I say it that way? Because so many people that I work with will complain to me about how loved ones and well-intentioned friends will say things like, you know, your loved one is a better place, or God only gives us what we can handle, or uh, heaven needed another flower. And I know why this happened to your family. And those statements are incredibly unfair. They may act as salve or bomb for the speaker, but those words rarely penetrate the hearts of, the, of those mm-hmm. that are broken. And those of us that are hurt and grieving and scared and lost know that words are not going to reach as much as very, very beautiful, open-hearted questions, mm-hmm. curiosity, loving, honest in interest in the other person's experience. I don't care if you're the Pope or the high rabbi in Brooklyn, it doesn't matter. You don't know any more than any other human mortal being, the reasons for the pain. And it's not your job to explain away something that you didn't create or destroy. However, it's your job to hold that pain so that the people with whom you sit know they're not alone. And when you do that, you don't burn out. You're not here to fix anything. There's a beautiful, beautiful story. I've, I've told it to you before, Harrison. It's about a beautiful boy and his mother sent him to the store to buy a loaf of bread and he was gone a very long time. His mother began to panic and worry. And when he finally comes home, she says, where have you been? I just sent you for bread. And the boy said, I know, but on the, on the way home, I, I came across a little boy with a broken tricycle. And his mother said, you don't know how to fix tricycles. And the boy said, I know. So I sat down on the curb and I helped him cry. That's what we do, Harrison. We don't know how to fix what's broken, but we do know how to help people cry. In the process, they discover that they're not alone, that there's a healing peace, that our private sorrows are rising to a public abode where others might actually speak a language that we understand. It's the best we can do. (laughs) So beautiful. Thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. And it's, I hope everyone's tuning into this and really going beyond even some of the words that Dr. Norman is saying, because there is a, a thread here. And I want to hit on a couple of things, my friend, that you said. First of all, are you have you ever experienced Reiki? Have you ever done any kind of Reiki healing either as a yes. practitioner or yourself? You've received? Yeah. Yes, I received. Yeah. And Reiki, it's a big part of what you were talking about, a big part of as a Reiki practitioner myself, how we how I do a lot of uh, across the ocean digital Reiki, right? So you could be a client that I could give it to and it wouldn't matter, right? The distance doesn't matter. What matters is the op- the ability to be open to receive and how Reiki moves is through those palms, open those palms. So for people listening, what, what Dr. Norman was saying about at the start of his story about really opening the hands and noticing a difference and a shift, there is a big part of that energetically when those hands our hands are they're many things they're part of our communication they're a part of our meridian line and our chakra system but energetically right there is a big difference between palms down and palms faced up the other element dr norman that you hit on so beautifully is the power of love channeled through words and the ability for that love to be the change maker So whether our words are constructed in something, so if we're working with a person that is moving through grief, that is moving through PTSD, that is moving through trauma, I think something we often overlook is the power of love behind the words in which are directed at a person. And that direction, that intention works best if it's open rather than closed-ended, rather so like you said, rather than, telling someone what to do, have an open heart, have an open mind, right? And allow that energy to flow, which is what I want to lead into Dr. Norman to get your opinion, see what bubbles up. 
how does what we're saying thus far impact PTSD? So PTSD is a topic, is an area that I myself am interested in. I'm sure people listening to this have either have someone in their life or maybe then personally have experienced some kind of PTSD and past traumatic trauma. I'm wondering your perspective and your opinion on, you know, what we've been discussing thus far and you being a specialist, where does this ravel into the story, into the equation? All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, what's so interesting about the experiences of PTSD is that we struggle because we've been hurt. And the way that we are able to heal is not to bury our emotions, not to bury our mm. story, but to actually do quite the opposite, which is against common sense, Harrison. Most of us will be told, don't think sad thoughts, think happy thoughts. You didn't do enough. But the truth is, we don't enter into trauma. Trauma enters into us. We didn't ask for this, but it happened. And so the way we are able to heal is by showing the trauma, the door, opening a window and saying, you can't stay in here forever. And therefore, the power of a loving connection and the power of loving words is the beginning process of healing. How so? Because every one of us, Harrison, has a story to tell, a story of woe, a story of wonder, perhaps both. And when we find someone who's capable of listening to that story in all of its gory details, without minimizing us and telling us that it'll get better because it doesn't necessarily work that way, the sooner we begin to recognize that we are, we are founding, we have found someone that can bear witness to our pain. And we begin to own this as part of our identity, but not the sole defining entity of who we are. And in a neurological way, we almost carve out some type of place in our brains for this rest, rest information to rest in. It's almost, like, it's almost like the trauma we've been experiencing circles around our head and looking for a place to rest and eventually it does find that place. It finds that place through the power of words and the power of story. And if you can find someone who's capable of listening to your story, you are going to begin the process of healing. And so many people don't have that fortune. They have good friends. We have good friends that say, um, yeah, I know you told me that part, but then what happened? You know, I don't need to tell you what happened after. I, I need to tell you what happened over and over and over. I need the space. Fall. Yeah, exactly. I, there was a time when I was working um, with the families of the, TWA Flight 800 had had crashed in, into the East Mauritius River here in New York. And I would go to the hotel at one of the airports and I would sit with these family members for hours, for weeks on end. And they would tell me every single day the same story, where they were when they heard the news of the airplane crash, where they thought their loved one was sitting at the moment. And after three or four days of hearing the same exact story, I would I was inspired, but I wouldn't, but I was inclined to say, yeah, I know that part, but what happened next? But it hit me that it didn't matter what happened next. It didn't matter at all what it was I heard. What mattered is that they could say it again and again until it became a piece of their reality. That's the power of words. Uh, this is Dr. Norman, you're hitting me to my core here and for a couple of reasons. So first of all, I, and I, maybe you've heard me speak about this. I know people listening are probably, are probably almost sick of me speaking about this thus far, but I'm going to keep going because it's so important to hear. It's the power of the throat chakra, right? I, I speak about the energetic centers and the, and the systems within us and the throat chakra is exactly what you're saying, right? It is the space and place in which w when we can open it, right? When we're given the opportunity to really allow it to flow through the stories, through the words, through our innate needs, through our innate wants, right? That in itself is healing. That in itself is clearing. But I'm interested, Dr. Norman, this is what was bubbling up as you were speaking. You talked about how trauma settles in the words and the stories that we need to express and speak. I'm wondering your perspective. And just to give a bit of background here, a lot of work that I do is with the body, with the physical body and how in many ways through traumatic events, PTSD and or otherwise the inner child, you know, many of the things we've talked about thus far, the the body can keep score also right the physical body and the tissues within our system can also hold on 
whether energetically, emotionally. So I'm wondering, and I know this maybe is probably not your area of expertise. Maybe I just want to get your opinion on this. What, how do you think that factors into this equation with the, the trauma story and maybe the speaking and the words? Please remember that, uh, that everything that we experience is going to be kept inside the body and our bodies do not lie. Our minds can lie to us all the time, but our bodies will never lie. It'll tell you what you need to know. There's an amazing book written by Bessel van der Kolk. Body Keeps Score. Is, the Body Keeps the Score. And he describes so beautifully about endogenous opioids in our brainstem, right above our, um, our spinal column. And inside of this part of our brain, we have opioids that when we go through a traumatic event, we, they become triggered and they become um, energized and ignited. And then we experience in the midst of the trauma an attempt at feeling better through the opiate system. And what happens is that it traps itself in our bodies. And when the trauma leaves, the opiates leave. And we go into a withdrawal where we actually begin to crave that feeling again. No, we're not gluttons for punishment. No, we don't want to be hurt. But when it happens, we then get a resurgence of the energized opioids in our natural brain. So there's a physiological explanation as well as a psychological explanation as to why trauma engenders more trauma, engenders more trauma in our lives. Trauma bonding, the body right? does keep this. And one of those examples would be through trauma bonding, whereby we find ourselves in the presence of someone who we might consider as a twin flame or some kind of soulmate, when it really is someone that, from a psychiatric perspective, is very transferentially connected to who we, we were with as children. And they're letting us have what's called the pathological nurturance, Harrison. Yeah. They're letting us do their, we get to do our, our stuff which is not so good as long as they get to there. So the pathological nurturance says, I'll allow you to hurt me if you allow me to continue doing drugs. And yep. it's all an unconscious process. Yep. But this, this kind of contract that we make with uh, this trauma bond continues to keep us in a place where we are stuck. Healthy love only wants one thing. It wants the other to become the best version of itself. It does not know jealousy. It does not know envy. It does not know competition. As it says in Corinthians, right? Love is pure. Love is good. And when you feel as if you're competing, you're in a trauma bond that has its roots in something much earlier than where you are at this moment in life today. So important. <laughs> if, anyone, if you're listening to this conversation and you take one thing, you take one thing from this chat is that last, last two minutes is <laughs> so important from the trauma bonding to the attachment styles growing up from, you know, I've spoken about this before. And I think at the time I released this episode, I'm going to release some other episodes around the inner child and our inner child wounds that maybe, you know, we've moved through or haven't moved through more importantly, they're going to show up in those adult relationships in many ways, like you were saying. And if, if we have not had the time and space to really bring awareness to what we are attracting, not attracting so we can be punished, attracting in many ways from maybe a spiritual perspective so we can heal, right? And we're going to continue in some unconscious loops whether we, until yep. we bring it into awareness. Would you agree with that, Dr. Norman? 100%. 100%. It is an unconscious loop that we find ourselves in. But it's important to remember that, that even when we bring it into awareness, that's only half the battle. Understanding the ED Right? Understanding the etiology of where we struggled and, and what, where we came from is very important. But that then gives us the next important feature of our work, which is to try something different yeah. and take, take the risk. So someone who was in, engaged in a traumatic connection with an abuser growing up might actually find that they are connecting comfortably with people who are bad for them. But as much as we don't want to be mistreated, we don't know any other way. That's what our unconscious knows. Yeah. So, so when I work with someone who's understanding where it is that they came from, they may gain access to that wisdom, but now they have to start loving and living differently. And that's scary. That's when a beautiful relationship goes bad 
because it's not something that they're used to. Yes. So, so important. That, and I, I want to get your opinion on this, Dr. Norman. I, I explain that as the, the safety mechanism of the ego mind structure, right? It's, it's, it's almost like a protection mechanism in many ways is that when they start going outside of that, that's when maybe those old protection mechanisms are wanting to reactivate and bring the person back into their safety and their comfort zone and what they're familiar with, but maybe unconsciously, or maybe there there's, there is, there is an element they're unaware of. It's actually outside of that safety zone, that familiar zone, that comfort zone is where growth and expansion occurs. So we can start healing these mechanisms. Would, would you agree with that? Is that a, a accurate analysis or would you say it differently? I would say it exactly like that. And I would add, this is the dialectic of the human condition. It's the swinging of the pendulum from good to bad. And that humanity has always been caught in the pendulum swing. We will have good, we will have bad, and we hopefully will learn from both. But, um, but, but inside of all of that struggle is the medicine that's here to heal us. So even though I may uh, find myself recapitulating old patterns, I have to until I don't have to anymore. And there comes a time with the help of therapists or, or psychic healers or, or spiritual guides, there comes a time when the psyche says, I've had enough and I want something healthy. And that's because the human condition strives for improvement at all times. Even those of us who have been hurt, we strive to improve our souls. Oh, that goosebumps with that one, Dr. Norman. It's because we, we live in a society and culture at the moment that teaches the opposite, unfortunately. But there is a culture and, and there's a system of systems. I was just having a conversation around, uh, about this with a colleague that we live, in a, we live in a world where there is a system of systems that, you know, there's sick care and symptom care and this idea that if we are aging with any kind of dis-ease or challenge, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, then that is normal, right? That's just the symptom of getting older. And if, if you're uncomfortable, if you're in chronic in a chronic challenge, yeah, again, either mentally in any aspect, then just treat it, just treat it, the symptoms, just, you know, every now and then hit, hit the top of it. But this is something you're going to have to learn to deal with, but that's not what you're saying. You're saying that there is a deeper state of healing and homeostasis that we all can connect into. Am I hearing that right? I am saying that. And the way that one reaches that, that, that place, which is you know, hard to define is through embracing the pain. Mm until you can place the pain, right? Uh, we, go back to the old, we go back to the Old Testament, the story of Jonah, who was swallowed up by the ocean and then carried away into the belly of a whale. And Jonah sits alone in the belly of the whale. It's a beautiful metaphor. And he says to God, I, I'd rather die than have a fate such as this one. And God says, sit a while, Jonah. There's something to be learned inside this darkness. And we all need to understand that in the darkness, there are, there's wisdom to be gained. Only we don't, we don't have that patience. We're human beings. We are ego-driven and ego-debilitated. And as a result of that, we want relief immediately. And what I'm saying, Harrison, is that the journey forward is to learn to live in the discomfort, to learn to tolerate the darkness, and whatever it is that it came here to teach us, because there is life on the other side. Dr. Norman, I have a, I have a sort of statement and a definition of health that I want to share with you. And it connects to that beautiful Jonah story and what we're talking about here in regards to taking steps through the pain to really expand. And this this definition of health that I want to share with you is, is from one of my mentors, Mr. Paul Check, that I've taken and added a little bit to, but I think it's a very profound sentence for people to hear around what we're saying here. And it, the definition of health is the following. Health 
And when I say health, I mean mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. It applies to all of them, right? Health is a honest willingness to engage your body, mind, and or spirit such that you see challenges as an integral process of creating and living your dreams. And to me, and I want to get your in feedback on this, my friend, to me, it's highlighting exactly what you're saying. And it's highlighting that now we see health in this in instance, we're talking about sort of the mental structures and the emotional structures. We see health as a state of being rather than a destination and a space that we get to. And then we think, okay, we're all good. It also helps us see that I can be healthy even in a state, like you are saying, of challenge, of pain, of disease, if I see it as this is happening for me, not to me. Would you agree with that? Yes, I, I do agree with that. I do. And I also, I also feel as if in terms of the way you read the definition of health, it is part of an ever unfolding process. We are never fully healed. We are always healing. It is present tense, not past perfect. If we're healed, we reach the next level, which is the world to come. But we're on the journey towards healing. And hopefully we're always going in the right direction. Um, I would say to you that there's a beautiful, beautiful line in, um, in a book written by Andre Asiman. It became a movie, Call Me By Your Name. This particular line never made it in the movie. In the, in the line in the movie, the father says to the son, who's experiencing severe heartbreak, he says, I do not envy you the pain, but I envy you the growth. And that's the dialectic of our life. We will grow, but not without the pain. It's as if, it's as if the work of, of trauma, the work of soul development, it's as if you, your soul is in the gym. When you go to the gym and you pick up 100 pounds and you sweat and you really work out, you come home and you can't bring a spoon to your mouth. You've ripped the muscle. But a week later, you can go to the gym and you can pick up bigger muscle and you discover it's growing bigger weights and you discover your muscles growing. So I say that the tears that we cry in our human form are the sweat of the soul yes. having its work out. Yes. Right? And, when this, and when the soul has its workout, as much as it hurts, yep. it's getting stronger and more refined and more defined and more prepared for its return from whence it came. Oh. Dr. Norman, I could talk about this all day with you, my friend. That is so profound and ali you. aligns, you're welcome, and it aligns with something that I like to say a lot, if people have heard me saying it, is I believe we're spiritual beings having a human experience and how that spiritual being speaks through the physical experience, the physical body. One of the ways is through the communications of the emotions, of the emotions coming through, right? The, if we are, when someone wants to grieve, for example, and, and they're looking to express that sadness, that grief through tears and the emotions around the tears, that is not just a healthy state to be in and a healthy release of energy, that is truly that spiritual being having that communication through the physical body in this instance, through the emotion of, or the feeling of grief, sadness, and then the physical representation of tears. So it's, it's beautiful and it helps us see the holistic beings that we are. I would agree with you. I wanted to just quickly say, uh, I don't believe that human beings want to grieve, but I know that human beings have to grieve. Mm. And when we have to, when we're, when we're called to this, task and every one of us is and will be called to this task we do it by allowing our soul to grow through the pain love it sir i want to switch gears here a little bit to something that i promised we'd talk about at the start and i want to come back to it now and it's this idea of you're an author my friend and you've written many powerful books and one of the books you have authored is, and I'm, I'm probably getting the title wrong here, but it's something along the lines of Angel Letters, Angel Letters and Lessons from the Dying. I think that is the correct, is that the correct title, my friend? The, the title is, it's entitled The Angel Letters, and the subtitle is Lessons That Dying Can Teach Us About Living. Beautiful. And it's, it's, it's a series of letters that I wrote to children after their death about what their dying taught me about living a better life and how I 
help them say the necessary words of goodbye to their parents before they left their bodies. It's profound in itself. And I would highly encourage anyone that is really tuning into this chat and being pulled to Dr. Norman's work to check out his resource and that, and that expression of his love. But what I've heard you speak about the book before, and I've heard you speak about the angel letters and what I'm interested just out of curiosity, Dr. Norman, because I don't think I've asked you this before. What, what, are, what's your view on loving entities around us specifically loving entities. So an example would be angels, right? What, but other ones you could call, uh, you know, spirit guides, ancestors, many others. What, what is your either experience, your perspective, your opinion on these loving entities around this time around when we do have a departing, there is a death. What's, what do you feel? What have you noticed? What, what are your thoughts around these loving entities and what role they play in this process, in this transition? Well, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've spent 30 years in hospitals by the bedsides of, of, of people who are, are dying. And um, I, I, will be, I look around at these moments to say, you know, are the angels here? Are there spirit guides here? I don't have that gift. I can't sing like Andrea Bocelli and I can't see the spirits, but I do believe that they are here. And that's the faith. It's not evidence. I wasn't given that gift, but I was given the gift of actually having faith that without any palpable evidence, I'm absolutely certain that they surround us at moments when we need them. Um, I can tell you that when a child, when a patient dies, I'm visited by them for many, many days after they pass, as they pass. Um, and they come to me in, um, in music, uh, in messages on billboards, um, in, in, in things I see in nature. And, um, and they are very, very clear. But that is their way of saying to me, thank you, and I'm on my way, mm. and I'm okay. When the moment, uh, when I sit around the, the bedside of someone who is dying, I'm not actually experiencing the spirit guides. I just am certain that they're there. And I'll tell you something else. In the work that I do with so many grieving people, I literally say to the patient, your, your son is right here. Your, your father is right here. I'm not saying I see them. That's not my gift but I know they're there. And there are times when I will actually start a session by talking to the loved one who passed and I'll say, please come with me through the session as I help your mother or father make it through the next hour. And I sit, as I said before, with my palms open, because when you think about it, when babies yeah. are born, they're, they're born with their, with their fists closed. And when people die, people die with their arms open. And the, the middle of between birth and death, we spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out which is the better way. And I really think that when we can leave our hands open, we surrender. So I leave my hands open. They're hard to hold, mm. but they're also very available to spirit. And so I expect that energy comes through that isn't even given to me. It's given through me. Mm. That's that's the best answer I can give you, Harrison. I, I I've not seen, but I've experienced, I felt, and I have a knowing that is something I don't have to challenge or be challenged by. It's it's my knowing. There are times when I, there are times when I'll tell a story about my own mother or father who are both you know in heaven, and I'll say something about them, and then when the session's over, I'll say, "I'm sorry, Dad." I know that probably didn't really sound very nice, but that's really my view of what happened in those days. Yeah. And I know that they're here and they're listening. And I also know that I don't need to apologize because they're in a plane of existence that doesn't experience shame or anger. But they know I'm in a human mortal meat suit that doesn't experience what they experience, but rather is limited by a very debilitating ego. Yes. And I don't, I don't have the freedom of consciousness that they have. Uh, so, so I say, I'm sorry. And I know they say it's okay. So my friend, I'm going to maybe make this a bit of a, a teaching moment for you. I'd love to share something with you here. And I, so thank you for sharing that experience. 
And that knowing that you spoke of, I think is the most important element of what you shared. It was all important, but that knowing is not a, for people listening, that is not a Dr. Norman thing. That is something that we all have access to all the time. Our ability to tap into it, our openness, our willingness, that is the thing that changes. And Dr. Norman, I'm wondering, I would love to challenge you here and maybe give you a bit of homework because I do know, and just correct me if I'm wrong, you you are still working with with children and, and the departing or is it most that's that's finished now? Is this still something it's that's happening? That it, it, it's not that it's finished. It's just that I found that um, I needed to leave the centers so yeah. I could do more private work and 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 write more. So yeah. I, I spend more of my days with the survivors after a death has occurred. Okay, good. So what I would suggest and maybe, and just see how this feels for you. And I'm sharing this now because I want this to be, I want to share this with everyone else listening. And I did a, I did a clubhouse room on this this morning. And so it's fresh on my mind. We, in my opinion, my belief, we all have access to spiritual senses, right? Whether you want to call them channeling deeper senses of awareness, knowing intuition, whether you want to call them the clear senses, the clear audience, the clairvoyance, the clear cognizance, all those things. What helps us expand them more? So, because, and this was triggered, Dr. Norman, by what you said about, I don't have the seeing or the, or the other abilities. And I would, that's what I want to challenge here, Dr. Norman. I, I would respectfully disagree because what I've seen of you and what I've seen, how much love you give the world and the way that you approach people, I, I feel and I know that, that there is more inside of you, that there is more for your love to express itself. So I want to throw it back to you and see how this feels for you. Would you yourself be open to going deeper into these senses that you have? I've always wanted to. I've even tried. Um, and uh, I, I, the answer is yes. It's very complicated because in order to do the kind of grief therapy yeah. I do, I need to be grounded in here and now, even though I might have a sense of what's going on in the there and always. So the answer is yes, but with trepidation. Yeah, of course, especially with the kind of work that you do. Uh, but the re- I just, you know, and I wanted to add that in my friend because I, I know you have the same belief as me. And it's this idea that we are walking on this, 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 this path, this soul path that we all walk, right? And on that path, we are led in certain directions and given certain things to express and share with the world as you shared at the start of this chat with your story. Right. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we met. And I also don't think it's a coincidence that we have such an affinity for each other. I love you very much. And I know you've shared that with me. So yeah, just let me know, let me know how it goes. And if you ever feel called, if you need a bit of help with this, I'm always willing to give a bit of support just so you know. I do appreciate that. I, I, I do. And I, I will take you up on the offer. I do want you to know that in 30 years of doing therapy, it's been hard for me to distinguish what was a psychic moment versus a psychotic moment. And I'm not joking. I have patients who go into fugue states and they think that they actually spoke or received information from another plane. And I think that they actually uh, had more of a dissociative event because of their own trauma. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this, Dr. Norman, because I think this is a very good point. I think this is a very fine line that people don't know how to balance what's what do how do you approach that how do you distinguish in your opinion the difference the way i distinguish the difference is by having healthy boundaries so when someone will tell me in my office and it's happened harrison i've had patients that will say to me you know you know your mother's here oh no your father's here too and i'll say my mother and father are in heaven no no but they're here they're here they're right here and I have to decide if I'm going to be impacted by that on a boundaryless way, which means I'll believe it, or if I can erect a healthy boundary and say, now, what is this patient's purpose in doing this? Yes. Because, because my mom and dad, who I know exist in some manner, yeah. would never interrupt a therapy session. Yeah. They just wouldn't. Mm. So I have, to, I have to determine with my cognitive abilities, my mortal brain, yes. what else could be going on. And if I 
am over involved in learning what it is that person wants to say, I may be susceptible to believing something that's not true. Yeah. But if I'm but if I'm recognizing that that this actually may be something that is here for me to learn from, I'll spend more time trying to understand it. It's about boundaries, Harrison, because the work of psychotherapy requires really, really defined relations. I would add to this, my friend, and say, I agree with the boundaries. And I would also say, be willing to ask yourself the question, meaning that I'll just give an example of something I've noticed similar to this, not in a sort of clinical setting, much like yours, but maybe people can imagine this. I, I, I get you know, a quite amount of messages asking me about these kind of things on a regular basis. And sometimes I have people come up to me and say similar things. They say, I've, I've had this download last night. This is what had happened. We've, we've spent a previous life together. And in that life, you were my, you were my daughter or you were my father or whatever the relationship was. And because of that, now we need to do said thing. And one, the boundaries come in, like you gave the example of, but two, what I would add is like you said, with the sort of the logical brain or even just an inner dialogue, ask yourself, okay, maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe they have good intentions. Maybe they don't, but how does this feel for me? Still check that, still check that box and ask yourself, okay, is this, like you said, is this appropriate right now? Or how does my inner voice react to this? What is my inner voice? What's the opinion of my voice? Don't disconnect from that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And that's, it makes a lot of sense, Harrison. It's why I say to you that I listen to my body because my body never lies, but my mind does. So when I'm in the presence of someone who is shifting into a topic that doesn't feel right in the body, yeah. it's, not, it's not a function of fear. That's cognition. It's a function of physiology yeah. that's saying, this isn't right. And you're given this body, understand what's happening inside of it. And what's happening inside of it is, is telling you something. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and that's really where the idea, not the idea, but the training of being a psychotherapist comes from. I really have to take a look at what people are saying on many different levels, many levels. Even a joke made in therapy is interpreted by me in three to five different ways. It just is. And, and, and it makes... <laughs> It makes it makes for difficult makes for difficult conversations at dinner, but it makes for fascinating therapy. It really does. That doesn't mean I respond to all of it, but I catch it like, oh, okay, there's that. Oh, and that one just came flying. Yeah. Okay, let me hold these <laughs> because there's a lot of unconscious transference being flown in this room, and I want to see how much of it is needed and how much of it I can let go of. And that's it's people think, oh, this is an easy job. You get paid a lot of money to sit and listen to people talk. They don't understand that I'm lending not just my ears. I'm lending my 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 psyche. I, I, at the end of an hour, I'm exhausted. I'm I'm beat up because I'm feeling the projections, the 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 energy that they don't want to feel, and they throw it onto me in some unconscious and sometimes unkind way. Yeah. And at at the end of the hour, I have to do twenty to 50, 50 push-ups just to yeah, be prepared reset. for the next session. Right. Um, and that's because. Um, there's so many ways to interpret and understand what is being said with words. So much, so much. <laughs> it's so important. And I was just laughing, Dr. Snow, because I was just, I was just visualizing that and I was con- contrasting it to the, to the dinner setting. And it is, it's very, it's too, it's, I think, and I'll, I'll end with this and I'm speaking of energy. I want to be mindful of your energy, my friend. I know it's late there. So I want to wrap this up, but I have one more question for you, but I just, as people heard that from Dr. Norman, I really want people to sit with this idea that, you know, the, the coach, the therapist, the clinician, the practitioner that you're working with, see that they are very human too, right? They might have these beautiful modalities and these abilities that they're supporting you with, whether they're trained in some sort of background or they have innate skills, but see them as there is a human side that has a very finite amount (laughs) of resources that we need to be aware of on both sides of the relationship. Dr. Norman, I will have one more question for you. And before I get, before I get to that, I want to 
give you a bit of space here now as people have been listening like i said at the start as promised you're a beautiful loving expansive light in this world and if someone listening wants to get in touch with you maybe they want to learn more what are some maybe resources we talked about your books or maybe i know you spend a lot of time on clubhouse where can people see more and connect into more of your work Thank you, Harrison. I think that the first uh, answer that comes to my mind is that you can follow me on Instagram. I have a, a 60 second video that I post every day. It's about 850 days straight now, where I just talk for 59 seconds about my thoughts on surviving trauma as gleaned from a therapy session I may have had or a chapter in a book I've just finished reading and how it impacts human life and soul life. So um, I would say check out at Norman Freed, which is simply N-O-R-M-A-N-F-R-I-E-D. You can go to Amazon.com and read any of the books I've written. They will, they're very personal as well as very professional. Uh, I wrote a book about my mother's death and the lessons that I learned from her death, but it's also written with a significant eye towards the Old Testament, the New Testament, and Scripture, and how that impacts grief. Um, as well as other professional books I write that have to do with uh, surviving loss. So you can find that on Amazon.com. You can follow me there, or you can follow me on Instagram. Um, and um, certainly hope I'll be more available and, 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 and more available to people as time goes on. I'd love that. And Dr. Norman spends a lot of time on Clubhouse. That is where we met. So you can also catch him yeah. there. If he's not on Instagram, he spends time there. And you might see me in a room with him holding space. Dr. Norman, what I'll do is for everyone that's interested in listening, I'll put all those details in the show notes of this episode. So if you're listening, go to the show notes, you'll see Dr. Norman's resources. I'll put them there so you can click on them and, and go to the links, go to the websites, do all the things. And I would highly recommend those Instagram videos because I learn a lot from them, my friend. And again, I think there is, especially as a practitioner, as a therapist, as a coach, we, 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 we can learn a lot by seeing someone's face and them sharing their words. And you're quite good and loving at that. Speaking of love, my friend, a big part of this, this is my last question for you as we wrap up this, the mission, the intention of the cosmic love antenna is connecting into a deeper sense of self-love so we can then express that love outwards into the cosmos. And I'm wondering, my friend, how would you define that word, your personal definition of love? It's a connection to a power that we don't completely understand, but know exists and are learning more and more and getting closer and closer to every living day. It's appreciation. It's eternal gratitude. It's recognition that goodness does exist and can last. And it comes in very different forms and sometimes dark forms, but exists. And when we can find ourselves enraptured with that feeling, we heal. What a beautiful, loving, full stop to the end of this chat. Dr. Norman Freed, I love you very much, my friend. Thank you for spending. I love you too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for spending this evening with me, sharing your love, sharing your guidance, sharing your wisdom. Beautiful, beautiful souls, beautiful beings out there in the podcast world. I hope you enjoyed this recording. I'm always open to feedback and, and comments and reviews. So if you did enjoy this conversation, please make sure you go down into the Apple podcast and leave your thoughts for myself and Dr. Norman. But with that, I'm wishing everyone a wonderful evening, morning, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This has been another episode of the Cosmic Love Antenna. Dr. Norman, thank you for being here. And I'm wishing everyone a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Cosmic Love Antenna podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow Harrison on Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at Harrison Ma. That's Harrison, M-E-A-G-H-E-R. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. 
and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Hass Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.